I had the good fortune today of sitting down with Adam Heist Runquist. Adam is an incredible entrepreneur, having broken the shackles of corporate life, building and exiting his first brand, already on the warpath to build another three subsequent brands. The guy is really just a monster. Uh, listening to how he breaks down complex problems, looking at his insights into what's going to happen in the aggregator space and beyond. Uh, it's honestly, it was just a pleasure having him on. He also has his own YouTube channel with a lot of high value content about his high level insights rather than sort of the tactical execution stuff that is right in the space. So really rate this one uh, really rate him as, a, as an individual and just believe in in everything that he's working on so have a listen let me know what you think guys and enjoy as always welcome to successful scales the show where i talk to world-class professionals on what it takes to scale successful businesses i dive deep asking questions to people who are running unicorn businesses to raising funds to buying businesses, mergers and acquisitions, IP and patent law, what is to manage performance management. I mean, the list goes on. The idea really is how do I create knowledge and learning for you guys listening in? And of course, myself getting the floor with people who I, in many cases, would never dream to share a room with. Before we jump into the episode, I've got to give a special thank you to our sponsors. Firstly, over at Global Wide Advisors, a leading digital consumer products investment bank focused on optimizing the sales process. An incredible team, always happy to pick up the phone and educate you or anyone about the sales process and what you should really consider and can obviously help take you to market or even acquire businesses. I ring them for just about everything these days. Us over at Multiply Me, we are the end-to-end executive search and HR function into the Philippines, helping find better talent and onboarding them effectively. And last but not least, Escala, our management consultancy focused on process improvement, where we help build better systems for your business. That's all the ads you're going to get from me, ladies and gentlemen. The rest is all about learning. I hope you really enjoy and get as much out of these sessions as I do sitting face-to-face with some of the world-renowned leaders in their respective fields, asking them the tough questions that they're not often asked. All right, Adam Heist Runquist, mate. Welcome to the show. Cheers, brother. Good to see you. Mate, I got to ask, where did Heist come from? I must know. <laughs> I, I literally, so, uh, you know, we didn't, I didn't talk about this before we hit record, but when I'm like, yeah. Dude, this, that's, that's fucking, that's Adam Runquist. What's the Heist business going on here? I could not place it. I was like tripping out for ages. So talk me through it first. Yeah, it's so fun. Well, we'll peel the onion back on kind of career trajectory and stuff. So I was uh, kind of out of COVID boredom in spring of last year or whenever, whenever COVID kicked off. I can't even remember the dates now, but I was like, you know what? I'm sitting at home, not kind of doing a whole lot. Let's get some thoughts on the Amazon game. Let's just like do a YouTube video for a week and just see what happens. And uh, so I had this like, you know, struggle of like, do you use some like cheesy, like FBA millionaire? Like, you know, there's that kind of thing. Or do you like use your real name? Although the real name is kind of a little funny. Uh, And how much anonymity do I want? So I just decided, you know what, like for me, the Amazon journey was about literally taking back my life. That was kind of the thesis on why I got into it to begin with. So there was this heist element of like, how do you take back your life? So I'm like, okay, that's kind of cool. Sounds cool. And I didn't want people, I was still working a corporate gig at the time. Uh, and so I didn't want to have a bunch of people searching my like, hey, what does this guy do? And reach out to the company. So I, for half anonymity, half like the sound of the name was cool. I was just like, let's do that. 
and I had this the for the and I also didn't want people like messaging me on Facebook like asking for mentorship and stuff like that. I kind of wanted to keep my private and public world separate. Um, long story short, uh, that didn't work out too well. I still have these like dual personalities in both names, and uh, but the the genesis of it was I've got a YouTube channel called Adam Heist that I kind of coined, and so I kind of live. Uh, I've, I guess I've got my my Amazon name and my uh, my normal name, and they both kind of fuse together at some point. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I was thinking through right now, like I get a million people adding me on Facebook from like a billion countries, like countries I've never even heard of. And I'm like, I really should have started like a work, like (laughs) e-commerce focus, Facebook, like, and then my own personal. Cause now it's like all this shit that I don't give a crap about. That's really clogging up my newsfeed. And I hate Facebook now as a result. So true. I think like the LinkedIn of Amazon of the seller community is Facebook. So it's like this weird dichotomy of it's it's very business and professional oriented on Facebook with with the Amazon space. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I know. I feel like such a douche to my friends where I'm like promoting <laughs> shit that I've done and like shut up, mate. Like this is supposed to be your personal Facebook page, and I'm sitting here like posting like the podcast and like what we're you know what we're doing in business and seven figure seller summit and all this stuff and people like get over yourself (laughs) mate like like my my childhood friends yeah it's so true man it's so true well i mean you started uh peeling back a little bit of the onion saying you know when you went you were going to step into this you had your corporate job so Mate, would love to hear a little bit about where the journey started because, mate, you're a super impressive guy. Like I said before we hit record, you know, your thesis on the aggregator space and just a lot of the content that you do put on that Adam Heist Facebook page, uh, Facebook page, I've got Facebook on the brain, YouTube channel um, is high value stuff. So take me, take me, take me back, take me on a journey here. Where did it all yeah, begin? So- <clears throat> Sounds good, man. So, uh, I'm kind of a, I come at Amazon from, I think a fairly unique angle. I don't think it'll be as unique moving forward, but it certainly was kind of two, three years ago. So I'm like, I was a buttoned up corporate guy. I worked for a fortune 300 energy company, one of the largest independent power producers in the U S there's 13 States within the U S where energy is basically deregulated. So you can basically buy electricity from whoever the hell you want, kind of like a cell phone plan. So I was in that business, um, spent 14 years in Texas doing that. Um, and it was kind of like up and comer and like in the corporate environment. So I was one of the youngest directors and I kind of had that trajectory to kind of, you know, go up that path. And uh, part of that role was basically, ironically enough, like acquiring and rolling up electricity companies. So Texas, there are hundreds of electricity companies. So I basically went out for, for the better part of a couple of years and basically identified kind of these smaller to mid-sized electricity companies. We would buy them, roll them into our infrastructure. And that was kind of one of the ways that we scaled. Um, around that time, we had also done a deal with uh, Nest Thermostat to do, because no one wants to buy electricity, right? It's like a horrendous experience. It's, it's literally an invoice. That was, that's kind of the customer experience. So we had paired um, these Nest Thermostats when they just came out with an electricity plan. And like customers for the first time ever kind of liked us. I wouldn't say that they loved us, but they're like, this is pretty badass. So, so the point, at that point, the executives were like, hey, let's go buy some physical products brands. Like there's something here. So we kind of pivoted, not pivoted, but we, in addition to buying electricity brands, we, we bought physical products brands. One of the brands that we bought was Goal Zero, which is based out of Utah. And they make like portable solar, portable batteries, backup battery generators, uh, stuff for outdoors, stuff to back up the house, et cetera. So we acquired that. Um, this, the, basically, the CEO of a, of a billion dollar EBITDA business unit went out to run it. He's like, I want to get out of corporate life too. 
about six months into it, he's like, Adam, <clears throat> he's like, and I don't have kids. I'm originally from Canada. So he's like, Adam, you know, the brand's awesome. The product's awesome. Like it's so badass being in Utah. I mountain bike. So he's like, the, the outdoor lifestyle is absolutely uh, insane. But he's like, I need, I need a right hand to come help me run this thing. Cause the business is kind of a shit show. So basically I moved out to Utah um, and for the first time ever kind of dug into a physical products business, uh, headed up operations primarily, but basically took on strategic projects where we basically turned over every rock we could to uncover value. Uh, the business was struggling a little bit right after we acquired it. Um, one of the rocks I turned over was basically the, um, the Amazon channel. So they're one P at the time. I think they were doing like two, 3 million bucks. Uh, and I kind of discovered that if we flipped it to 3P, we'd basically double our margins, even if we kept the revenue the same. Um, but the problem was, is we had to learn Amazon because in the 1P program, basically Amazon buys their stuff on a weekly basis, much like a retailer would. And if you go 3P, like, like the world that us private sellers come from, you have to basically build up and, and run and manage the business. So fast forward, we basically took that to A plus figures, that channel. And I was like, I had my own, I had had this internal crisis for probably 10 years, but it kind of emerged when I was out like mountain biking and stuff. I'm like, I just wish I could go mountain bike during the middle of the day, like without meetings and without like the stress of, you know, the modern work construct that kind of has these rules set out for you. So I'm like, you know what? I, I know enough now let's put it together. And I, I basically started my own um, home goods brand about two and a half years ago that I just exited in June that we'll talk about. And I've since built a couple more and um, that's kind of it in a nutshell, man. Just wanted to uh, escape the the corporate shackles that we all kind of uh, have at some point in our careers and um, and pursued Amazon as a vehicle because I thought it was a, a good way to do it. Very cool. Uh, very cool to hear your background and um, why why I'm attracted to you, but not in that way. Sorry, mate. Uh, <laughs> wink, <laughs> wink. <laughs> For those who can't say, uh, Adam was winking at me the whole time uh, while he was explaining. No, but 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 I think that you know, uh, to your point at the very start, it is a really unique story that you have because for a lot of, uh, a lot of Amazon sellers and solopreneurs sort of, you know, I literally had a conversation before where someone was saying, um, you know, these Amazon sellers that are up, you know, until all hours of the night down their 12th Red Bull, they find struck gold from some product they found on AliExpress and sort of go through that process. You've come at it from a very different high level strategic background where you've taken on or you've left the corporate world, understood what it is to run big businesses, particularly in an operations uh, standpoint when you came in from the product brand, which I'm really eager to dive into as well. I think that's also a huge differentiator as well. Um, and things, again, that make more sense when we're having conversations before um, and why, again, a lot of the material you uh, share resonates with me is that You've taken a very different path and you've seen the opportunity that is Amazon, not from a you know kid in the basement trying to figure out how to make a few bucks here. It's how do I take a strategic move and actually turn this into a real business? And you've done it in pretty quick uh, time and you've had an exit and now you're building multiple additional brands and you're looking to do it at scale. So yeah, super, uh, super exciting and interesting to sort of dig into to sort of how that works, mate. Um, so um, it, you said that your sort of key driver and that sort of moment of clarity came when you were mountain biking and you said, right, I want to be able to do this at the, in the middle of the day. Like, and I follow you on Facebook, so I see how much mountain biking you do, you do get, get in. I sit here being super jealous half the time, just thinking, shit, that is, uh, that's the life for me. Like, 
How, what was that transition like for you? Like, you know, I think for a lot of people that you probably get the same questions too. Like, at what point did you feel the security or that moment of clarity where you said, right, I'm ready to walk away from the corporate or working for someone else and sort of stepping into it uh, by yourself? Like, what was that like for you? Yeah. And I think honestly, like where a lot of people get hung up is like, frankly, motivation can be fleeting, right? Like everybody, like, you know, you go to a Tony, Tony Robbins weekend thing and you're all jacked for maybe the next three weeks, but at some point it does become fleeting. And I think that the biggest thing I've seen in my life, whenever I've enacted any kind of substantial uh, systemic change is that you, you, you have a, a particular reason why you want to do something. So I think a why is incredibly important uh, and it's got to be a deeply motivating why. But then you've also got to have this weird, there's this weird period and it's usually frankly over a year. And this is where I think a lot of people get hung up. Um, you know, sometimes it could be six months, sometimes it could be a year, sometimes it could be 18 months or more, but like there's this chasm that exists where you're doing everything that you're supposed to be doing to get to that end goal and to achieve that why and fulfill that why, but you don't see it right away. You know, whether you use like the diet analogy or whatever else, like it takes time to see it when you're in it and to kind of transpose those things that need to happen for you to get there. And then all of a sudden there's like, it, it like leverage, right? Leverage is doing all those little things that compound, compound, and you don't realize the compounding interest of those efforts. And then all of a sudden the thing just goes nuts. And um, so I think for me, that's what it was, was really pushing through that chasm that I think you need to push through, which doesn't feel like you're doing what you need to do or get where you need to go. And then all of a sudden those, all those incremental efforts and systems and things that you do kind of compound to achieve the result. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, like this is, I thought about it. I enacted it. And all of a sudden I'm here and it's crazy surreal when that happens. Um, so yeah, man, for me, it was, it was literally a, a kind of a two year process, but I started to realize about a year in like, okay, this is going to happen. Like this is the thesis is playing itself out. And if I just keep my head down and focus on the right things and, focus on high leverage things like this is the path for me to kind of achieve that why and, and kind of the rest is history. So what was that? Was there like a defining moment where you, you sort of said, right, this is actually going to pay off. It's like, it's no longer just a thesis. This is becoming reality. Yeah. I think um, there was one November there was when I started basically was there, there was one, I was starting to hit $20,000 days on Amazon and I'm like, okay, the tough thing I think in my situation is, is like, I wasn't like an eBay seller that could survive off 30 grand a year. You know, like I was like, you know, you get, you get the golden handcuffs of a nice salary from a corporate gig. And it's kind of hard to, to kiss that monthly kind of guaranteed money, especially when it's, it's a decent chunk of money away. But when I was basically like, okay, well shit, if I can do 20 grand a day on Amazon, like this supplants the salary and then some of, of what I was making. So there was, I think it was, for me, it was a financial security thing. And then I think there's also just this like, confidence thing that we as entrepreneurs and, and kind of business owners like need to overcome, which is like, I actually do have the skills, you know, like, like as good as any of us are at any one moment in our lives, there's always those moments of like, this is it all going to end tomorrow? Or like, do I really know what I need, what I need to know? And I, I think I kind of started to check those boxes too, and kind of assure myself that I had the skills to basically see it through. So I think it was a combination of monetary and then just realizing, okay, I, I actually have the skills to pull this off. Uh, so let's, let's buckle down and go for it which I think is an amazing realization to have because for a lot of people, they struggle with that imposter syndrome. Like, do I really uh, deserve a seat at the table? Am I really in this position? Like, you know, I sit here sometimes, honestly, we've got like nearly 150 people working, you know, who rely on us for payroll. And I'm like, 
should I really be running this company? Like, am I really yeah. like fit for, for this? And so, you know, to have that realization, um, you know, it's a pretty amazing evolution and, and step to take, I think, from a, you know, from understanding where your value and where you sit in the business. And a lot of people should really think through that, uh, myself included, and realize like you are running the business or you are delivering the value that you are actually capable of and you're not sort of getting there by accident. 100% agree. Yep. So, so I said to you before, um, and for me, like people who can really handle operations, um, that's like a skill set that that's the dream. I think you always, you know, the glass, not the glass is half full, but the grass is always greener effectively. Like for me, I, I'm not the best when it comes to operations. That's not my core competency or skill set. I can build systems. I'm not the best at running them through when you stepped in and you were handling ops inside of, you know, the physical brand uh, brands, right. I'm getting that right. Um, yeah. What um, is that sort of your core competency historically and your skill set? Like you've always been on the operating side. No. So it's, it's super ironic. So like I always came from, I started out in, in more marketing centric roles. Um, and then I kind of gravitated to like financial and kind of, I would call it GM roles. The, the last thing I did before I moved to Utah, I was basically running a kind of emerging technology business unit that focused on portable power. So we kind of had a, a stick there. So I had a small team of like 10 folks that we, we basically worked on emerging tech. So no, in fact, when, <clears throat> when the CEO at the time kind of pinged me and tapped me on the shoulder, I'm like, dude, I want to go to Utah so freaking bad. Like it'd be so fun to work on this business. It's a cool brand. I'd like to get out in the mountains again. Like I'm like, I'd love that. But I'm like, up there, like I would say accounting was like the, the least favorite. And then operations supply chain would have been the next run on the ladder of like things I did not want to do. Um, but I was like, you know what? This is an opportunity to learn something new to kind of move for all those things. I'm like, let's just do it and see what happens. But I had honestly like not the best of expectations for that particular functional unit. Um, however, when I got out there, and I don't know if a lot of people realize this, like ops is freaking exciting as hell. Uh, ops is like, you don't want to think of it as sexy, but it really is super dynamic and interesting to piece together basically the plumbing of a business and how does a business actually function? What's the skeletal structure of a business and how do you improve that and kind of bolster that to achieve what you want to achieve, especially at the time we wanted to go from kind of like call it 30 million bucks into nine figures and like what gets you to one point in a business doesn't get you to the next point. So, uh, so no, that's not my background, but I, I just, it's a super interesting dynamic space. Uh, and, and maybe we can kind of deep dive into office, but, um, I think it's, it's one of the most high leverage points in the business for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you don't have the right ops people in place and, you know, honestly, the whole Escala business model building process improvement as, you know, as a solution for e-commerce, like that's a business built for guys like me who don't love it, but understand the intrinsic value. And yep. so like when I, you know, when I sit here and we're thinking of new methodologies or new delivery mechanics, we're working on uh, Lippy, my co-founder and the consulting team are working on what they're calling the Escala Academy, which is effectively like a, a course where it's a live course awesome. where they actually educate founders and key personnel in the business on a five month trajectory on how to build systems inside of their business. And they presented to me last week and they said, yeah, we're going to need like six to eight hours of the key person's time. And I said, yeah, you're never going to get six to eight hours of my time every single week to deliver stuff. Like let's rethink the model on how we can actually add that value. So um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely something that really interests me and, and 
definitely something I think we can deep dive into. But I, I actually I actually want to change the pace while I'm losing and regaining my train of thought here. Uh, live, sure. live. Um, you you talked about um, obviously exiting your business recently, and I think that it's a really hot topic, especially when we talk about the aggregator space. And you know, I definitely want to dive into that as well, just given how profound your positions were on it. I mean, what was that experience like for you going through the, going to market? You talked a little bit about speaking to a bunch of different aggregators. I mean, that's also a new and exciting experience, I'm sure. I'd love to hear sort of from your perspective. Yeah, I'll maybe kind of just walk down kind of my exit exit strategy. And I'll just say, I mean, it was crazy and surreal or like the two words to describe my process um, for multiple reasons. But, um, you know, if you would ask me like a year ago, like, hey, like, what's the strategy? How, how do you go about exiting a business? Like, either broker and or PE firm, if you're the right size, was absolutely the vehicle. There really wasn't an infrastructure of M&A that existed even a year ago. But, you know, Thrasio, there was a couple before Thrasio, but really Thrasio took kind of the flagpole and and kind of carried it and showed that dynamic. And that brought a whole bunch more money in the space. And there's like $7 billion plus now circulating to buy Amazon brands. So I was like looking at my business and I'm like, and there's no information out here. Like there was, you know, the Joe Valleys of the world on the broker side that did podcasts and learned a, a lot of amazing nuggets from those guys. Thrasio shared a lot of content over the years, but they had a, a perspective that wasn't seller-centric, right? So there wasn't really a seller-centric, how does a seller think about M&A? Like when I kind of did it, even whatever it was, three, four months ago. But I'm like, you know what? I come from m and At least I know my way around financials. I kind of understand how these things work. And the biggest thing to get the maximum valuation when you're selling a business is basically to identify the most buyers humanly possible that are qualified to buy your business get as many offers to the table as possible, create a bidding war situation. People will pay up to the maximum level they're comfortable with from a valuation standpoint, then you exit. That was kind of my world kind of pre, pre-Amazon. pre So I'm like, you know what? There's literally 80 plus aggregators in the space. Uh, my brand was home goods. Like I didn't see it going to a strategic like retail or anything like that. So I'm like, it's going to be an Amazon centric buyer, probably 99% of the time. And I know who they are, you know? And so I kind of made the decision to, to go DIY style, which was kind of unique. I, it was funny. I was like, cause there's a lot of unbaked growth in the business, but I'm like, you know, I'm going to do this. So I literally sat on a patio one, I think it was like a Sunday afternoon. I cranked like my Spotify Pearl Jam playlist, one of my favorite bands. I'm like, let's just do this. And I literally like, like a factory line, just like I had a, li- a running list, but I kind of dug up as many as I could. I literally emailed or messaged contact forms for like 80 aggregators. So fast forward over the next two weeks, I ended up, um, um, meeting with 23, having at least one meeting with 23. A lot of those were multiple meetings. Uh, brought down to six offers. Uh, whittled those down to three in kind of a kind of a bidding war situation. Then I basically got an LOI or, or purchase price that I was comfortable with exit on it. So from sitting on my on my patio listening to Pearl Jam one Sunday to literally two weeks later, it was like a crazy whirlwind experience and had an offer on the business. Like. So when I say crazy and surreal, like that just doesn't happen in a normal business context ever. I mean, these are usually six month processes were the ones that I were, were part of minimum three months. And so, uh, so yeah, it was crazy dynamic and kind of a, a wild ride along the way and got to see a pretty dynamic space kind of unfold in front of my eyes during that process. Well, I think even just the way in which you've outlined it too, uh, there's a lot to take from that. Anyone who's looking to exit their business. I mean, you effectively built a strategic process. Obviously, it's very handy that, you know, you can go on marketplace, uh, is it marketplace <laughs> yeah, exactly. and literally see every single aggregator and, yeah. you know, they're all 
very happy to have a conversation and I had a potential acquisition of the business. But again, you worked backwards, you filled out the forms, you went through, you whittled it down and you got down to a three and then you picked the, the, the winner. I mean, the bidding war aspect, I think, uh, especially if you're not at the private equity and strategic size is going to make a, a whole lot of sense right now, just given how hot the market is. I mean, seven plus billion dollars of venture capital yeah, floating crazy. around. It's crazy. And it's like, it is a very... Um, it's a very unique and special time right now. If you're in the position to be selling, it's not, it's not going to be around forever. Um, like my prediction is, you know, you probably got three to four years would be sort of my longer weighted prediction of like when this whole bubble is going to burst. And, you know, I mean, I know to some of the points that you had in the, we'll put it in the show notes. There was a, about a 20 minute video that Adam had put together and, fantastic insights on like what it takes to actually run a successful aggregator from the financial side of things. Like when you, when you break down the equity or the debt equity that needs to be repaid and the operating margins all the way through to like, what are the keys to, to success? Um, so yeah, I mean, you know what, I'm sitting here trying to regurgitate a video that I watched you actually produce. I mean, Looking at the space, and honestly, I mean, I work in the service business, so I feel like I speak with a new aggregator, shit you not, every other week, and it's new aggregators coming to market, ones that don't feature on that list yet. Um, so there's definitely still room for growth there, or people are still getting funded, uh, despite what some people might say that that tap has been turned off. I'm literally speaking to a new aggregator every every week or every other week. I mean, what um, what do you think of the things they're going to see uh, these aggregators fall down and what are the keys to success? Yeah, that's a good point. So I think um, the interesting thing about Amazon for me, and again, I come at it from a professional angle. I think a lot of the folks that entered kind of 2015 to 2018 came at it more from like the just purebred hustler entrepreneur, right? Which I have a little bit of that in my DNA, but that's not my makeup. So I think a lot of these people, they're like, don't get it, don't get it twisted. They're crazy intelligent. Like, I mean, you do not make it to... Goldman Sachs and these family offices and these high finance gigs, unless you came through a pretty difficult undergraduate experience, oftentimes graduate school, and then it's not easy to land these gigs that these guys get. So they're smart as hell. They're smarter than me. There's no doubt about that. But I think as there's something in the space that I like to call an Amazon degree. And it's almost like you can teach somebody that, so like imagine somebody had all the physical gifts to be a boxer. And you kind of talk with them and theorize with them about, hey, here's the mechanics of a punch and here's how you do footwork and here's how you bob and weave. And like, they've got all the genetic gifts to be able to pull off. And then you get some dude that was, you know, uh, like a pikey from the Snatch movie that came out from like Ireland who's been scrapping since he was four years old and he cracks you in the face. Like, you got to learn how to, to take a punch. You got to learn how to like understand those dynamics in the ring and in the fight. And Amazon is very much a fight in the sense that it's not logical. Um, it doesn't always work or shake out how you think it's going to be or how it should shake out. And so I think that there is an operational learning curve that literally is an, it's, it's an in, in the trenches absorbed degree that you need to consume. Anybody can get it. Like this is not rocket science. However, I think the biggest challenge for a lot of folks coming in from an aggregator angle that has not distinctly operated Amazon brands is going to find those, those, they're going to taste some blood uh, from getting cracked in the face a couple of times. So I think the, the, the million dollar question for me is, is like for those folks that come into the space, how much cash can they burn 
And how many mistakes operationally can they make? How many poor acquisitions can they basically flub to get their Amazon degree figured out and learn those mechanics that are needed to be able to scale and grow, grow a brand? Um, amongst a, a really competitive cash environment where eventually that debt cash is going to go to the winners, right? So that there is a lot of capital that's going to come into this. And a lot of them have, have placed bets on four or five plus aggregators. But at some point, it's the ones that pull off and figure it out. Like they're the ones that are going to get future rounds of debt and it's going to drop for the other ones. So I kind of, I definitely see consolidation in two ways happening. One is just because of the folks that literally can't figure it out in time. And I think that they're just going to dry up and they'll kind of be sold for scraps or they'll, they'll fold up tent and whatever else they do with the assets that they've got. I think that there's going to be another layer that are going to be successful at it, but then there's going to be these behemoths that, you know, once you're running $500 million top line or $750 million top line, it's pretty difficult buying even $5 million Amazon businesses on a regular basis to continue to grow. So I think they will look to those kind of medium tier aggregators that are successful and operating and they'll scoop them up when they've got 50 million in revenue, say. So those are kind of the dynamics I see playing out. I think it's, it's going to be super dynamic. I mean, I'm, I'm like, it's kind of like watching a NASCAR race where you half want or, or no, a Formula One race. You kind of half want to watch it for the skill and like the theater of how talented these people are. But then you also know that there's the chance for a crash. So there's, a, there's a, certainly an interesting dynamic at play. And uh, that's kind of my take on it at a high level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before we hit hit record, you know, a hundred aggregators, seventy aggregators, whatever it's at, uh, and continuing to grow, like there are bound to be some crashes. And you know, to your point, great, great reference to snatch. You know, I'm just thinking through like the M and A heavy Amazon businesses that have never had to deal with putting you know, a kick-ass POA together that's actually going to get, yeah. you know, their business back online or like what that stress feels like um, when your listing has been hijacked and you don't know how to find your way through it. Or, I mean, the list really goes on. How do you, how do you find that stranded inventory that's just gone missing and you've been passed on to the fifth team in India uh, where, like you said before we record, like the left hand isn't talking to the right hand because let's face it, Amazon as a business is like any other business, as great and incredible as it is as a company, it is constantly growing too fast for its own good. And systems can never be built uh, to stand the test of time. They're constantly going to be broken and need to be rebuilt. And when you talk about anything at scale, I mean, that that stuff just takes more and more time. It doesn't matter how single-threaded leadership and having two pizza teams and everything that you do, it's just, uh, you know, we, I mean, we were even having the conversation working in Amazon versus selling on Amazon. It's two different animals. Um, yep. And it's a very different experience to the point where those building the systems that you sell on have no idea in ways that it's being manipulated on the outside and how people are really using the tools that they were being built. Like you could have, you could have the smartest people in the world trying to sort of reverse engineer. Well, what's the way to hack the system? But that pike is going to crack you in the face and figure it out, you know, quicker than, you know, they're going to react. And it's, uh, yeah. it's a, it's pretty cool to sit on that side as well. So, yeah, I mean, um, some of the things that I also think is like, if you haven't gotten to that experience, especially now with the challenges around global inventory, uh, supply chain challenges and freight, dealing with the limitations on the inventory that you can get into an Amazon FBA center, uh, it's going to be a very interesting and popcorn worthy Q4 to see like who really runs, uh, who really runs the gauntlet and can actually make it work because 
I think that consolidation starts to happen as early as January of next year. Yep. Would be 100%. Would yep. be my guess. Yeah. So, yep. yeah. And it's the operators, like you said, too, that are going to be the winners because, I mean, yeah, you talked about, you know, a $5 million Amazon acquisition isn't moving the needle for a half a billion, three quarter of a billion dollar business. Um, you've really got to start buying those larger operations. So, I actually, I think that's going to be a really fun experience on the outside where you've got other businesses that have been busy, you know, it's not trying to lowball, but, you know, trying to play very intelligent games where they want to obviously acquire the business for the least amount of money and maximize that ROI and be savvy acquirers when it's them trying to sell the business to the larger aggregate is what that's going to look like as a, that would be yeah. a fun show to watch. Yeah, it's. I, I kind of think that the days of like um, multiple arbitrage are kind of going are fleeting. I think that they're they're slowly going away. Um, but I, I think it is going to be interesting because I mean, the, really, the math checks out. I, I, kind of how I see it on paper is basically you buy these businesses for call it two and a half to five x. So that's kind of the like somewhere in that spectrum is how a lot of the deals go down. And then it'll be really interesting to see who goes public first. I think we all kind of think Thrasio is, but you know, they're, it's highly likely that they go public for 20 to 50 X. So you've got, that's where I think the multiple arbitrage is, is when they go to these like public exit markets. And so these middle ground players, it's going to be interesting to see what they get. Is it 10, 15? Cause if you're just about to go public in say six months, like why not buy something for 10 X if it's going to be going at 40 X when you go public and then you take that cap table off. So, but you're right. I think it's going to be, um, yeah, it'll it, again. It's so freaking fun, man. This this you know, just when you think like finance and all this like nerdy business stuff is is kind of like you know stale. It's it's kind of like a casino and and uh, and kind of a you know high level boxing match all all in one. It's 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 fun. I I'm honestly a little nervous for a lot of these aggregators, and I'd say the space as a whole when you know Thras or that first. Uh, you know, serious player goes public and, you know, all the word on the street, it'll be via SPAC. Um, I'm, you know, I'm just interested to see, like at that point, like they're opening up the kimono. You're seeing absolutely everything that is going on inside of that business. Like if that shit isn't sound and running, you know, like uh, clockwork, then that's going to have huge implications on the entire ecosystem and the market. Yeah. So true. I mean, it's like, whether you like them or don't, or whatever your kind of stance is on it. I mean, everybody's got to be rooting for Thrasio in the space from an individual seller to service providers all the way up until if you're a aggregator that's raised a couple hundred million bucks, because they really will set the market good, bad, or indifferent. Um, even if there's players like that are better than them or more well-structured than them down the line, they're going to get tainted by either the success and or um, the, um, the failure of, of their process. So yeah, I think it's, you're right. There's a lot, it's, it's a little bit scary for one kind of player to, you know, they're basically Jupiter, right? They're control, controlling the, you know, the gravitational force of all the other planets in our Amazon ecosystem. And so, um, I'm hoping, hoping that they pull off and, and do it right. Otherwise it'll probably be kind of a 12 to 24 month reset, uh, on, on that whole kind of financial market behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know what? I, I would back them in though, as in like I had um, I had John on the podcast a few weeks ago, and dude, they have a super smart team. Like when I yeah, look they're at, sharp. They're super sharp, but um, you know, like we were saying before, like 
shit's going to break. They're at about 1,500 total headcount right now. And they've done that in the space of like three or so that's plus crazy. minus years. Like that's wild to me. You know, yeah. um, I was I was laughing when I when I uh, first met John. We were sitting at a, a dinner in Vegas and I'm sitting next to this guy and, you know, didn't know who he was. We're chatting and he's like, yeah, like we had like a tough year, you know, like we hired 700 people. And I'm like, fuck I just do the math on that i'm like yeah. the fuck you, hides you know 700 people yeah. this year it's like oh, i'm john i'm the co-founder at thras it's like oh that makes sense but you know you've interviewed five to seven x that you've seen 20 x that in resumes like just the it's 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 freaking mind-boggling what they've done um operationally it's it's definitely interesting i mean how big would their hr team have to be It'd be enormous yeah it's <laughs> i'll tell you what i was I, I said this to somebody i don't know it was like three four months ago like Actually, it was funny. I interviewed um, uh, Stephanie, who's the COO, yep. effectively. Actually. She's she's was, badass. Yeah, she is. Yeah. So I basically was scanning their um their whatever their career page, and it was literally like you know flick 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 flick. And I'm just like, man, I do not envy your HR person. It's probably one of the most difficult jobs over there for sure. Yeah, I mean that's uh, it's a lot. It's just it's it's just a huge task. Yeah. So. So you had the exit. Um, I don't know if you want to, if you can talk about who you sold to and, and anything around that. Um, but I know that you've jumped straight. Can you, can you talk about that stuff? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so yeah, throughout that whole process, I basically exited to a company called D1 Brands uh, based out of Brooklyn. Um, kind of an interesting story, actually. I, I think kind of what I think is kind of the DNA for success for aggregators, I guess we'll find out. But um, they have basically an operational co-founder that built a, uh, their own Amazon brand up to eight figures. Um, so again, kind of in the trenches, kind of have the scars to prove it. And then they basically have another co-founder that kind of brings the financial capital markets expertise to the table. So kind of the two, the two things that matter in the business and they understand sellers. So anyway, I sold to them um, and it became really close, frankly, through the process. It really is almost like you know, a dating to marriage in, in 45 days, you kind of don't know the person then you're literally like in the trenches in a pretty highly emotional experience, right? As much as it's about the math and kind of due diligence and all that stuff, it's, there's a lot of emotions tied to it because there's a lot on the line and it's life-changing kind of event type stuff. Um, so yeah, I came out the other side, really like those guys. Funny enough, uh, I was actually just out in Brooklyn. Uh, I kind of put my money where my mouth is and actually invested some money in these guys. I believe that much in them. So, so yeah, I exited to D1 Brands. Um, they've kind of got the operator first, kind of seller first kind of model, and they just raised kind of 123 million. So, kind of have a front row seat at the table to see how they uh, how they deploy that capital and, and how they how they shake out. Yeah, and like we were saying before we hit the cord, like Yaz came on the show last week and just super impressed with the way in which he yeah. breaks down the equation. And yeah, you know, we were talking even about strategies around how to attract, you know, additional acquisitions, you know, they've acquired now something like 20 brands and <clears throat> on the back of it, everyone's had a really positive experience. So I was just saying, I mean, that's it, you know, that's the, that's the that's marketing cool. material that you really need is like us sitting and having this conversation right now and you highlighting that, you know, that's a winning combination for them to potentially to go on that acquisition, you know, roadshow or, or build that pipeline. So yeah, I'm also super impressed with them. Um, we're yet to start working with them, but the reality is everything I've seen about them has, has impressed me. And yeah, um, interesting for me is that you jump straight into building additional brands, right? That's, that's the play now. 
Yeah. So it's funny. So I, uh, I can't remember the exact time, but called two and a half years ago is when I started the home goods brand. I exited that in June, um, December of the previous year. So it's, it's a little over a year now I've got a sporting goods brand and that's kind of my baby. That's kind of like, I'm the archetypal customer of that, of that business. So it's a lot easier for me to understand where the customers are, where they hang out, what the product kind of pipeline looks like, et cetera. So it wasn't like a, like a linear, like sold and then started a new one. I kind of had, I'd started one and then I kind of started another one, like a year out exited the one. And then I started another one like that spring. So I had three concurrent brands that had kind of been built up from scratch throughout this process. So one of which is a little over a year old. So I'm kind of turning my attention full bore into that one primarily. Uh, I've got some like equity spiffs uh, and some other smaller ones as well uh, that I'll kind of be a part of and I'll probably invest in some of the brands. But uh, my goal now is is really kind of to double down on this one brand that uh, kind of I want to take big and, and pour my energy and attention into that. Do you think going through that process, firstly, super smart, um, you know, to, to have the foresight, to know that the exit is going to come and then to start the next one. And obviously you've been through the process before. So, you you know, the learning curve, much shorter, your ability to go again totally. and leverage the processes and the partners and everything that you'd done previously. I mean, you know, I'm sure you're probably already thinking about the next two or three <laughs> to, to go forward. Um, just judging by how quickly you're moving in the way you think, which, which I love, but have you tied anything into a potential future acquisition? Like are you already that far out where you're saying, let's say day one brands, like, cool, I'm building this next, next business, like inject some growth capital, you know, take already a few chips off the table now and start like, are you already thinking through it that way? What's your what's your sort of methodology? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So, like for for this brand in particular, um, I'll know more to answer that question. I'll probably know more in the next eight months. So, my I hadn't scaled, I hadn't tapped the Amazon kind of well dry. So, on all this stuff, I haven't done a ton of international. So, my my next step is to basically take this one particular brand on Amazon only international, and that's going to be a big focus. Uh, we'll probably enter five markets this year. Uh, and I've probably got a pipeline of like five or six products. So I've got a little bit more horizontal growth within the Amazon ecosystem I want to do. Uh, but this brand lends itself to retail and other channels as well. So um, like one of the largest kind of e-retailers in the space, in the vertical for this particular industry uh, is actually in Utah. So I'm going to kind of try to get in line with them. Um, REI is another kind of potential uh, throughput in the retail space. And REI is one of those, uh, you know, kind of the horsemen that aren't going to go down in retail. So I'm looking at some of those retail horsemen that I can kind of integrate the product with. So I think it really, for me, I, I think who I sell to and what the potential exit playbook looks like for this one is a little bit more predicated on how successful I'm able to get outside of the Amazon ecosystem. Cause that really lends itself to people paying multiples of revenue, right. And, and not a, an aggregator per se to acquire the business. If that playbook doesn't work and it's just a really well-scaled, well-thought-out and profitable Amazon business, then I'll probably sell to D1. I'll just be like, hey, guys, let's let's not bullshit around the valuation. Let's just kind of do it do it down the middle that we both agree with and sell it to them. So I have thought that far out, um, but I want to kind of see if I can take this one to eight figures. That's kind of the goal and and see if we can do some non-Amazon stuff with it as well. Yeah, very smart. You're already, uh, I just went through a course called Exit DNA with a guy by the name of Mac Lackey. Do you know Matt? Yes, I, I. So it's funny. I, I, I'm friends with him on LinkedIn now, and I've actually perused his course. I'm like, I got to put my head down and not learn anything for a little bit and just kind of execute for a bit. But I'm, I plan on joining that because it does seem super interesting. And he had the Mountain Cactus exit, which is the world I came with from with Goal Zero and REI and all that stuff. So yeah, he seems like a really, uh, really interesting guy. 
He's amazing. We did the, not just the online course, his course is an eight week program. You're part of a cohort and you actually sit with him, you know, usually a one to maybe six to 10 companies uh, or people and walks you through more so on the strategic value. And he actually highlights that specific exit. Uh, and I'll tell you, cause it's awesome. Um, he, he actually, so he built mountain khakis. He was at a point where he was ready to exit. He went and had offers in from um, Patagonia and also from North Face. And he ended up selling for double what each of them had offered him to a company that had no foothold inside of that specific vertical. He was growing faster in his specific niche than either one of those brands. And he sold it to, um, I think they manufactured arms or munitions. And he broke- oh yeah 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 Re- like the guys that own Remington I can't remember the name of the the exactly yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. exactly and he sort of explained like when you start moving away from you know selling to an aggregator and selling on a straight he's like I'm not interested in a straight EBITDA play that is not that's not strategic yep. value so he looked at me so he sold it for seventy five percent sorry he sold seventy five percent of the company for double the offer um, and he explains in the course like he was looking for strategic exit value he knew that they were trying to soften um the position in market you know that it wasn't really their only um it wasn't really their only area of expertise that they could actually expand out of it and for companies like north face and uh, you know and um shit i said uh, uh patagonia they know the unit economics they know what they can manufacture they know every aspect of the business so you're never going to get the strategic valuation that you would and so yeah. Um, he talks a lot. Of, I mean, that's just one example of what I learned in, in the course is like, how do you start from the inception point in building out the framework of who might a potential acquirer be? Start building that list from day zero in understanding what that, you know, what that value creation looks like on the, yeah. on the back end. But man, he's got some incredible stories about how yeah. he approaches it. And yeah, amazing guy. I'm going to check I got to check that out. I know, honestly, if we kind of look at the Amazon space and kind of see how it evolves, I think that is kind of the altruistic, like if you want to talk about like next level, five years down the line, whatever else, but like the aggregator that can take these organically ranked Amazon products and cultivate them outside of this and build these audiences, brands and omni-channel and do that at scale times 20 plus brands. Like imagine what that value of that business is. If you can take 20 of those assets and make, and build out what mountain khakis did. Right. I think that's really the, uh, that's the other level of this that hasn't really kind of seen itself yet, but I think it will at some point after the, after the Amazon well gets tapped, cause it will, yep. uh, even with all the other, uh, other stuff out there, I think the playbook will need to evolve into that. And, um, I think that's kind of part of what's, what's fun about being in this, in the space and industry is seeing that evolution take place in front of our eyes. And it's probably one of the most dynamic business environments we'll ever see. So it's, it's cool. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that we're going to continue to see that push. It's funny, like I came from uh, digital marketing and e-commerce, you know, saw the, saw, honestly, I stepped into the Amazon game, saw what the ROI looked like. And I was like, forget e-commerce, like it's going to take, <laughs> it's going to take me years to build up like something that's even remotely close and there's no guarantees. Like 
20% was like a bad conversion metric for the products we were selling. And I was like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> it's insane. But I think, I think yeah. realistically, we're going to see a real push back into that space and back into yep. that DTC because the well will run dry. Um, my yep. philosophy before stepping into Amazon is that Amazon is the best marketing tool you could ever hope for. So if you can really leverage that and then drive into owning the customer relationship, that's when you can start to see those multiples on revenue, not EBITDA. And you have, yeah, I mean, honestly, we really are running out of time here. I feel like we could have a whole conversation on this. <laughs> and honestly, I'd love to get you back on because Dude, I, love, I'd, yeah, I'd love it. I love this kind of chat for sure. <laughs> you don't, you don't say it's <laughs> 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 very, very apparent and you have super, uh, value adding and just interesting positions. Again, it's um, it's rare that you get to speak with ex corporate professionals stepping into it as opposed to sort of the Amazon millionaires who sort of finagle their way in. And I'm thinking in Hebrew now. I've spent too much time in in Israel, but there's a <laughs> there's a word that they use here. It's called shchuna. It means like neighborhood. Like everything's just sort of like rigged together with a bunch of duct tape and you know super glue. And that's like, that's like the culture here in many ways. So um, very cool to be able to sit down. Um, I mean, Adam, before I let you go, I don't know if you're looking to have people reach out to you. It sounds like you're actually taking the opposite uh, approach here and you want to stay, uh, keep that anonymity. But um, if anyone did want to get in touch with you for any reason or whatever that looks like, I mean, I mean, good opportunity probably to plug the, the YouTube channel too. Cool. Yeah. And honestly, I actually, I really actually do interact, love interactions with folks in the community and all that. It's just kind of like the Instagram DMs to, you know, do one-on-one -on -one chats and mentorship. That's a little bit hard for me to scale. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I post a video um, about once a week on, on a YouTube channel called Adam Heist. So if you just type that into YouTube, you'll find me. I like to kind of focus on intermediate kind of plus content. So folks that are kind of like, uh, in the space already more strategic kind of deeper thinking stuff. I like to kind of, that's where my interests lie and, and kind of like where I like to think in the space. So I think that there's probably, you know, stuff out there uh, on that channel that you probably haven't seen before. So that's probably the best place to check me out. Um, I've got a uh, Facebook group called FBA exit as well. So I try to kind of keep a pulse on what's happening in that broader marketplace, obviously investing in D one. Now I kind of have a front row seat to some additional, information. I think it's going to be super cool. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm like super open, transparent, like to kind of share what I know and leave it out there. And, uh, you know, if, if we lock arms together, we'll get there faster as a, as an industry of sellers and, and service providers. So that's my shtick. And, uh, I'm also on LinkedIn as well on, on Adam Runquist, my other alter ego, my real, my real name, Adam Runquist, you can find me on LinkedIn there. So <laughs> awesome. Um, all that stuff will be in the show notes, guys. So, you know, when you're listening in, jump in and you can click through to, to all those things. Um, Adam, it's been honestly a pleasure having you on. I'm serious when I say I'd love to have you back because there's a ton of topics that we haven't even scratched the surface on and having someone like you in it would just be value adding to everyone listening. Dude, likewise. And, and you kind of know your people, as I say, and I feel super aligned with you coming out of our combo in Vegas. And anytime you need me on, man, just, just ping me and we'll get it set up. Mate, I'm uh, sending you another request uh, just after this. Done <laughs> <laughs> deal. deal. Awesome, mate. Well, have an amazing day. And thanks again for taking the time out. And mate, just keep keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing to to hear and see. And yeah, excited excited to have you on again and sort of see what 6, 12, eight, 18 months looks like for you because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of movement. Yeah. Cheers, brother. It was awesome.